welcome everyone to the Food, Farms, and Chefs radio show with restaurant industry author Kevin Wilson, highly acclaimed chef Gene Blum, and food photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Join them as they interview the biggest names in the restaurant industry, tell you about the latest food trends, and give you recipes and cooking tips too. So let's get the show started. Welcome to our listeners around the world via the podcast and our new Facebook podcast platform, our FM station in New York, and our two Philadelphia radio stations. It's Tuesday evening drive time for you. Great episode today. We'll highlight women brewers, great beer, delicious sandwiches, and a fantastic event company. Amaris Pollock, introduce us to your fabulous guest. Hi, I would like to introduce everyone to Blanca Quintero. She is the board of directors VP for Pink Boots Society. Blanca, thank you for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Yeah, thank you for having me. So um, I was excited because you are a female-led um, organization, but why don't you tell everybody about you know, what Pink Boots is, who founded it, and you know, how long you've been running for? Sure. So the organization is actually 15 years old this year. Um, back in 2007, Terry Farnworther, I always just pronounce her last name. Sorry, Terry. <laughs> uh, she uh, basically, she, she's a brewmaster. She's been a brewmaster for 30 years. And she went on a road trip across America and found other women brewers. And she realized that she wasn't the only one. When you would go to a festival or an event back in those days, you, it would be few and far between that you would see another woman in the industry. So she started the Pink Boots Society organization based on, um, I believe her mother-in-law gifted her Pink Boots. Um, so uh, it, for a very long time, it was based out of Portland, Oregon, where she's, she's from. And it was just her networking with other women in the beer industry, mainly brewers. And um, I believe it was in 2010, that or 2012 that it formally became a 501c3 uh, c <laughs> so we're officially a nonprofit. and at that point uh, the focus became scholarships and the majority of our fundraising is aimed towards giving scholarships to women in the beer industry we are now inclusive of non-binary individuals as well so scholarships uh basically are different kinds like leadership uh women in leadership or um Siebel, which is a brewing institution in Chicago, um, UC Davis School of Brewing, different sorts of opportunities with like White Labs, um, which is a, a big pro provider of yeast for the beer industry, and different types of way that we can help advance women in the industry itself. Um, so the, the organization is entirely based for women and non-binary individuals in advancement, inspiring and educating uh, these people to be able to grow in the industry. And actually, as of last year, we also include other fermentables. So it's beer, cider, uh, wine, kombucha. Uh, anything that's a fermentable alcohol is also included in our uh, scope of uh, who we accept as members. 
That part I didn't know when I was doing uh, my own like background research on on Pink Boots Society. So that's an interesting little uh, find for you to tack on to to what I I had already <laughs> researched. Um, that's very cool. Now, what I think is also amazing is that on top of the fact that you are you know a female and non-binary you know led environment, and that you tried to offer support and and whatnot in education. There's other things that you guys have been, you know, doing, other waves you've been making, um, such as, you know, events that you're throwing that are unheard of because they're, you know, they're also female-led and female-based um, and non-binary um, individuals for, you know, the fermented uh, world of beverages. <laughs> <laughs> um, so why don't you tell our listeners a little about, uh, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it correct, but... Bier du Femme Festival? Yeah, the Bier du Femme um, is based in Charlotte. Um, when our current treasurer actually is has been a huge part of it. Um, but essentially, it is an all-women uh, beer festival. There's been a couple that have been established around the country. So there's Femme Ale Fest that's in Florida. And there's Beers Without Beards um, that usually takes place in, in like, New York area. Um, but the concept is uh, an entire festival put on by hopefully predominantly Pink Boots members, but the part of the proceeds is going back to the organization. And um, I think it's just a great way to highlight these different individuals that are part of the industry that, like, as I mentioned, that Terry story, like, it's not a, a, a highly visible thing, and it's still considered kind of, like, unheard of to see like a a woman-led brewery much less a woman head brewer or anything of that sort um and i think yeah that that festival itself i'm not sure how long it's been going on it was postponed this year um it's probably going to be going on next year um but it's it's definitely uh brought a lot of attention to these individuals that are probably not really noticed in the industry because of the lack of representation. Now, another thing that, um, that I think is interesting is that you, you know, your scholarship program went from something where it was, you know, you handed out one scholarship to now you've got, you're grown. You have grown Mm -hmm. so exponentially that you hand out multiple scholarships and, and even in, um, I forget which year it is, but you had implemented a trip to Germany as well. Yeah, the trip to Germany, I think there was a little bit of a snafu with how we organized it. So it's not something we host any longer, but we did do that um, a couple of times. And even we just had a, a Pink conference um, a few weeks ago, and they had like a little mini Germany trip reunion because it was so impactful on these women. Um, I know that there is um, one of our board members had won a scholarship from before COVID that she was finally able to take. And she was, uh, went to the Delirium Brewery to brew their pink boots beer. And it happened to coincide with women, International Women's Day. And um, so there's just like these other like very big scholarship opportunities where you can travel to another country to take part in you know, their brewing processes and learning their history. And the, the trip to Germany was very much that. I mean, they brewed with, like, uh, there's this brewery that is run by nuns, and they brewed with probably the oldest uh, brewmaster that's a woman. 
um, in Germany, and it was really like just it's just life changing for some people to, you know, it's such a different culture as well in Germany with beer culture, um, where it's you know it's like something like that is more common than here. I mean, I don't know if you know any non brewers, but um, yeah, the, the the program has just gotten so large uh, because we've been able to raise a lot of funds through our yearly collaboration brew day, which is done in conjunction with Giacomo Chief Hops. We do a hop blend every year. So we select four to five hops that go into this blend that you can use in any beer style you want. And the breweries that host those, that do those beers, uh, donate part of the proceeds of that sell of those beers to the organization. And Yakima Chief Hops donates part of the sales of the hops themselves back to the organization that go into our scholarship program. So I believe last year we almost raised $150,000 for our scholarship program from just this uh, fundraiser for our scholarships on a national level. And now it's the program has gotten so big that we offer scholarships on the local level as well. So some local chapters are able to give out scholarships to their membership because they fundraise from these types of uh, events. Um, and that's become very impactful as well because it means that we could get more scholarships to more people. Which is very good. And, you know, um, along the lines of scholarships, it has, I, I'm also reading that you can, you know, choose to pay it forward, you know, so people don't have to just raise money through the foundation or um, through fundraising. You know, there are people who pay it forward and donate um, to the scholarship as well. Well, well, the pay it forward is what a scholarship recipient does after they receive their scholarship. They're supposed to pay it forward by presenting what they learned to other Team Boots members. So whether that's through a webinar, through a blog post, a podcast, or um, through a chapter or local chapter meeting, they present the information that they've learned, and that's the pay it forward aspect of the scholarship itself. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So the, I can see how, yeah. So that's, that's what that actually is in, in a reference to. Okay. I didn't understand like, that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's like, if you're not aware of it, it might be confusing. I mean, we, we do do other sorts of fundraising. So if, you know, if we do like a local tap takeover, a bar might donate part of the proceeds. As I mentioned, breweries donate part of the proceeds from their beer sales for these pink food beers that are now being released because it's women's history month. Um, we just did one at my brewery that was released this past week, um, and it's just very awesome to see, like, you know, the participation and the fundraising that can happen on the local level, but we also do, you know, like Amazon Smile, and, you know, people will sometimes go to our events and just do donations through our website, or if we go to represent at beer festivals, you know, we have, like, little QR codes so people can just do a straight donation as well. And I think we see that a lot, too, because people do see the organization, the benefit of it, and want to contribute. And and I think that's a good thing. Um, now, for, for our listeners out there, you know, are, are there ways that our listeners can go to events and, and whatnot that you host, you know, that you're doing the fundraiser or an event where it's a beer fest? Um, and, you know, where where can they find things like that? Um, so, I mean, obviously, everybody is on social media these days. We have Pink Food Society um, on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, there's, um, you could go to our website, which is www.pinkfoodsociety.org, and we have a list of events. Um, but just check out your local breweries and see if they're brewing a Pink Boots beer. I mean, a lot of 
local breweries taking this time to highlight their, you know, this month specifically to highlight women that might work for them. And you might see that your local brewery might be releasing one of these beers or in support of this organization. Now, I know that each year you choose a specific, like, hops brew. Um, and you, I think from what I can ascertain is that you guys send that recipe out to these different um, women who are brewing with the hops. Um, and then they brew it for, I believe, International Women's Day is, is generally, you know, the, the women-led breweries brew on that day. Um, yes. So... How do you choose that hops and, you know, what can people look forward to this year's um, annual uh, beer, craft beer that you guys created? So um, hops are, tech- are usually harvested in the fall, September, October. So after the hop harvest happens, um, usually what we've done before COVID is we would do, we would host an event at the Great American Beer Festival in Denver which is usually in October and we'd have 20 plus hops on the table and everybody kind of concocts, you know, what they think is their best blend. And then everybody votes on it because of COVID it's changed. And this past fall, what we did was we sent a little packet of about 20 different hops to, or 10 different hops to all the local chapters. So there, there was about uh, maybe 60 participating chapters and then um, Yakima Chief Hops aggregated the information to select the top three blends. And then we, uh, every chapter voted on their, their favorite blend. So we ended up with five hops, which included what's called HBC 630, Palace, Triumph, Laurel. Um, I forget the last one. I always forget one of the five. Um, <laughs> and essentially... I would do the same thing. What they're looking for, right? It's like, I have lost count, but... Essentially, uh, because it's, uh, when you do something like this, it's something that most breweries do. They go and they select hops that they want to use in their beer. You're looking for recognizable, um, like, aromatics. Like, you want something that maybe is, like, pineapple or citrusy. And in the combination of a few different hops, you can get a lot of elevated flavor profiles that you might get from not just using one. Um, so there's a lot of kind of technicalities that go into it. When we hosted ours here, I hosted it at my brewery and I involved my entire staff that was available and it was really fun uh, to kind of learn and get hands-on with how these processes happen that usually is reserved for like the head brewer or the owner of a brewery. Um, But it's super fun and the idea is that this blend of hops, which is one of the four ingredients that go into beer, could be used for any kind of beer style. So you could use it in a hoppy IPA or a Pilsner or maybe even a Saison I've seen. Um, the idea is that you could make any beer that you might want. But some people tend to make like hazy IPAs or something like that because of all the, it tends to have more of a tropical pineapple fruity character to it. So the, um, the blend itself. That, thank you. So now who? how can somebody who is a female owned um, brewery join your your membership so you don't have to be a uh, an owner um anybody can join the pg society if they are a woman or non-binary individual that um works in beer uh either working at a brewery at a beer bar um a sales rep marketing professional 
or uh, if you are opening up a brewery or uh, as I mentioned, we do all fermentables or if you're opening up a distillery or something of that nature or winery. And then uh, we have three tiers of membership, the last being aspiring, which used to be our student level membership. Aspiring could be like if you're a beer enthusiast that maybe wants to break into a beer career, you're able to apply that way. Or if you're a home brewer and you're trying to learn more about these things, like there's different ways that you can join the organization that aren't limited to just being like a brewery owner or a brewer. You could be in all sorts of different capabilities within the beer industry or like I mentioned, the other fermentables like cider and kombucha and stuff like that. All right. Blanca, thank you so much for, for joining us on our show and and for everybody who's out there that, you know, would like to become a member, you can go to Pink Boots society.org thank you thank you let's take a break and we'll be right back to become a sponsor of our show and have your business or event promoted on every single podcast platform two philadelphia radio stations on tuesdays at 6 p.m evening drive time an fm station in new york and to the millions of facebook users worldwide with access to the facebook mobile app send us an email to either food farm and chefs at yahoo.com or dining on a dime at yahoo.com and we're back amorous pollock introduce us to your fabulous guest hi everyone i want to introduce you to Lori white she is actually one of the pink boot society chapter leaders in new jersey and she's also one of the co-owners of zed's beer which is located in marlton new jersey Lori, thank you for joining us on food farms and chefs Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so you know that I love your beer. I've been to your establishment <laughs> so many times. Um, but I didn't know that you were one of Pink Boot Society members until I started doing some research. So how did yeah. you join? So when we first started looking at opening the brewery, obviously I was a, a beer aficionado and we were homebrewers for a long time. And when we started looking at opening the brewery, I started looking around at educational resources and pink boots popped up as a, you know, perfect educational opportunity for women professionals in the business. It was focused specifically on professionals. Um, and, and as I was an aspiring beer professional at the time, I, um, I joined the Philadelphia chapter, which is one of the most active chapters in the country. Honestly, we have a really strong group of women um, in the Philly region that, um, that all get together. Um, but at the time, New Jersey did not have its own chapter. And so as the years went by and we started growing and we have a lot of really great, you know, women brewers and women brewery owners and bartenders and distributors and, and uh, you know, uh, brew tour operators who are all on the Jersey side. And we just didn't have a, a sort of home of our own, so to speak. So we decided this year, because um, I guess we had some free time and all this COVID nonsense, uh, that we uh, we got together and formed our own chapter and decided that we we would we're still affiliating with you know our regional groups. We still love those ladies in Philly and still want to you know participate in all the fun stuff they've got going on. But now we have a home of our own in New Jersey, which is amazing. Um, yeah. and, and the fact that you're the leader of it is even cooler. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes, you know, if you want something, you got to kind of go out and make it happen. <laughs> so, you know, we, 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 we knew that this is what we wanted and, and I just decided to step up to the plate. So, which is good. Um, yeah. and I, you know, with, with that, um, with that out there, 
what are you doing for the Pink Boots Society? Um, I just found out there's actually five different hops to choose from this this um, the, this uh, year. Yeah. So the process has been going on for a little while. Our, our friends at Yakima Chief Hops, um, which is a huge uh, yeah, hop grower in uh, Washington, they uh, cooperate with the Pink Boots Society every year, and they create a special blend of hops for us. So um, every year, right around International Women's Day, which was the 8th, of March, we um, plan. Sometimes we get together and do community group or brews with COVID. It hasn't always been easy to get together to brew, so a lot of us are sort of brewing independently. But we all use the same hop blend, and then we take our individual recipes and put in put our individual spins on it. Um, we brewed ours at Zed's uh, last Sunday, so we've got that bubbling in the tank. But even prior to that. Uh, Pink Boots groups and chapters all around the country got together ahead of time, and Yakima Chief sent us, I think, about 15 different hops to choose from, and we all sat around and sift them, and we combined them in, you know, it's sort of like playing with spices. You, you, sort of like making our own, uh, you know, like curry blend or something, where we we sniffed them and thought about, you know, looked at the charts, thought about how much bitterness they would lend to the beer versus how much aromatics versus you know, there's all of these different piney components and floral components and citrusy components. So we all sat around and sniffed like crazy and came up with a blend that we thought was going to work really well and could become our signature blend. And then different chapters submitted their version, and then Yakima Chief took uh, all of those into consideration, and they came up with, uh, you know, the the great 20, 2022 uh, Pink Boots craft or Pink Boots blend. <laughs> And it's available for other brewers to use. I, I've heard that a lot of breweries use it just because it's a really great, you know, blend of hops. Um, but they donate a portion of the proceeds for all of the brewers that buy it. And then once again, when we use it and put it in our beer, we also donate a portion of the proceeds of the sales of the beer. So it's a great fundraiser on on multiple different levels. That is and great true. to support women in brewing. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's a huge, you know, especially during Women's History Month, like how much better could we get than, you know, the Pink Boots Society and one of the chapter leaders? <laughs> it's kind of nice to have that, you know, sort of point on the calendar. Um, things are kind of slow during the winter. And then, you know, as March approaches, I, you know, we know we've got Women's International Women's Day where we're all going to have fun and brew together, followed very quickly by St. Patrick's Day and then followed by our beer release, which so we kind of gives us a nice target at the end of like a long dreary winter we've got all right spring is coming we get to go hang out with some fabulous women and brew some great beer exactly now um i'm gonna liaison into the fact that you know you are a brewer at this point like very steadily like have been for a while at this point um i met you when you were like just opening zed's uh, Zed's beer and I I talked to you over the weekend about this but one of the things that resonated with me is how hyper local you are and how supportive of you know different purveyors you know in your area but also you and your husband are very big on making sure that whatever you put into your beers like you are on top of it <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it's really important to know kind of you know know your ingredients become really familiar with them unlike other chefs you know when we make our product we have to wait you know two weeks three weeks sometimes longer to find out how it's going to turn out so you really have to know your inputs 
um, because otherwise you've got a really long wait to find out what's coming coming out the other side, and and you know that process is a little longer than maybe just putting a cake in the oven or whatever. Um, the other thing too is as a craft, you know, as an artisanal product, we want to make sure that we're using, you know, maybe things that are out of the reach of large brewers, but that we can do just because we're at a smaller scale. So you know, working with local fruit providers, working with local um, there's not a lot of local grain providers, unfortunately, in New Jersey, but there is one, and we, we love working with them. Um, and, you know, and then coming full circle, too, not only making sure that we're using local providers for whatever we can um, on the front side, but then also working with that same farmer to, um, so we, he takes our spent grain and feeds it to his livestock, and then we, you know, trade him that for fruits, and it's a, it's a great sort of example of keeping the economy hyper local yeah and you know and it, it makes a difference too because if you if anybody's out there listening like seriously check out Zed's beer in Marlton it's it's a cute little spot you know there's comfy seating everywhere but the beer itself is so delicious um I know Thank for you <laughs> you're welcome and like there's always something new for for us to try um whenever I go there and sometimes I go with John you know that um, you know, there's, there's <laughs> copper cream ale is one of my favorites, um, that I get from, from you guys. And I'm a stout girl. So the fact that I'm like going after, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You laugh, yeah. but yeah. Um, no, and... I mean, those, those two styles are worlds apart. So if we can convince you to, to come over to the lighter side, that's a, that's, that's speaks volumes, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You know, and and I know that you have some other brews that are out are out you know out there right now um, that are absolutely yeah. delicious, and I know you have Radlers and Shandies because I've had them all. Um, yeah, our our focus has always been from from the start um, that craft beer doesn't have to be scary and it doesn't have to be unapproachable, right? Um, I wasn't a huge craft beer lover before I started making my own, um, and it took me a while to kind of wrap my palate around some of the stronger flavors and and stronger alcohol contents that's typical of craft beer. But the nice thing about what we're doing here at Zed's is beyond staying hyper-local, we're also trying to focus on what we call approachable craft beer. We try not to let the alcohol creep too high up because, you know, you want to relax with a beer. You don't want to necessarily fall off your stool at the end of it. Um, <laughs> and, and, and you want to let those flavors shine through. You know, sometimes alcohol can be pretty powerful and if you've got a delicate you know like elderflower in there or you know you're using lemongrass or something that that's not necessarily going to stand up to a a whopping grain bill or like a heavy hand with the hops it's kind of wasted right so being a little bit more uh judicious maybe in, in where we land on our with our hop levels and with our alcohol levels allows us to have a little bit more fun playing with ingredients and letting those ingredients shine in a way that that's difficult to do when you're doing, you know, quote unquote, big beers. Not that there's anything wrong with big beers. I love a nice, you know, heavy Russian Imperial Stout every once in a while. But <laughs> And you do have, I, if you have a porter and you have a, I think you have a stout. Yeah, you have a nice. We have a stout. Yep. Yeah, ours is a dry stout. It's, um, you know, kind of right along the lines of where a, a Guinness might be. But once again, ours is made, you know, fresh and never transported. It's a long boat ride from Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> a very, very long uh, boat yeah. ride. I want to also touch on the fact that you have spritzers too that are a little bit, yeah. you know, on the lighter side. 
still approachable, still around the same ABV as your as your beers, but definitely yeah. like more uh, a brighter, we'll say, flavor. Yeah. And that's where, you know, you know, Jeff, my husband is the head brewer and so he creates this really beautiful, you know, very um light, um, but still it's it's still a five percent. Um, but it's a really crisp, clean base for me to really go wild with flavors. So, you know, um anybody can throw cherry or mango in something and you know, those are great seltzers too in the summer if you want. But from my in my point of view, if you're going to come to a craft brewery and you're going to get a seltzer, it better be worth your while, right? So we start from like I soak hibiscus flowers and water with lemon zest, and you know, I mean, our prickly pear hibiscus is made with you know 14 different botanicals, and um, sometimes Jeff rolls his eyes at me, he's like, really, you're going to put something else in there? I'm like, yeah, no, but it's going to take it just to the <laughs> it's so, going to be that one um, extra ad. Exactly. Why do just mango when you can? peach and mango and orange blossom water. You know what I mean? Like it's going to just round out that palette and make it, um, you know, that much better. So yeah, we do, we've, we've had a lot of fun playing with seltzers. I know a lot of classic beer drinkers turn up their nose at it, but come on, it's, it's, you know, beer's a fun beverage, seltzer's a fun beverage. It it lets you have a lot of fun and, you know, why not? You're going (laughs) to, if you're drinking those calories and you're, you know, you're, you're doing your, your drinking budget, um, might as well be something fresh and local and delicious. That is great. Now, before we <laughs> have to let you go and find out where where to find you online, um, what can we look forward next on tap? So uh, that fantastic Pink Boots beer that we talked about is going to be released uh, the beginning of April. I'm super excited for it. Um, usually when you name your Pink Boots beer, you kind of try and make a play on the word pink. So ours is called Pink is the New Pale because we took our classic pale ale recipe and add this beautiful pink boot hop to it and really try and let them shine. So pink is a new pale 22 is going to release uh, right at the beginning of April. Uh, we're excited about that. And then we're going to spring into, you know, more summery flavors coming down the pike. I've got new seltzer flavors uh, coming down. We're working on hopefully a strawberry rhubarb. I'm trying Ooh. to make sure that that works out to, to kick that off. You know, I'm dying for spring flavors. I'm just, I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've had enough of these taste of warm days to make me like craving spring. So <laughs> trying to get some of those spring flavors on. And yeah, um, dark beers. We serve dark beers year round, but let's move away from the dark. We've got our nice spring lager on. Um, we'll be brewing some more wheat beers as we get, you know, closer into the summer. So um, we're, we're making way for spring here. It says it's going to happen. <laughs> exactly. Now, where can we find you online? So our, uh, all of our, uh, online, our website, our Twitter, our Insta is drink Zed. So D R I N K, what we want you to do, and that's the E D S. So <laughs> that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Lori, thank you so much for joining us on Food oh, Farms and Chefs. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you so much. We've got um, we've got a frosty one always waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. And I don't know anyone that doesn't love Zed's beer. Every time I see them online or someone talking about them, they love Zed's beer. So check it out. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back. Tune in to Dining on a Dime to hear from Gene Blum, our chef, educator, consultant, and historian. You can find him across social media at IBFoodie2 or Gene Blum at 
ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com. And you can also tune in to listen to Amaris Pollock and find her across social media at A-R-P-O-L-L-O-C-K-U-S at gmail.com. And we're back. Chef Gene, introduce us to your fabulous guest. Well, as the weather's turning nice, people are out and about, and you know, we're in the small towns of America. It is an absolute great pleasure to introduce someone who really makes a difference in the food world and the hospitality world and somebody who's been around almost as many years as I have. Chef Ernie Pio from Street Food Sandwich Shop. Ernie, welcome to the show. Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you so much, Gene. It's my pleasure. And listen, before you get started, I must thank you on air for, on behalf of everybody in this culinary field and world for you, what you do and how great you are and how you care about everybody. You just don't get the recognition. You're a hell of a guy. I have to thank you. Well, thank you, Chef. That's a great uh, honor to hear coming from you. And you know what? I, I learned that from people like you and people like Matt Hansen and other greats in this industry. So, you know, we got to get back and help each other. So, Ernie, you got yeah. this wonderful little uh, sandwich business going down in Hatboro, Pennsylvania. A uh, wonderful little small hometown kind of place. Um, but you have a little twist on it. You know, you have some really unique stuff going down there. So, tell us, you know, before we get into you, about the business there in Hatboro. Absolutely. It's a former coffee shop called the Mad Hatter, right in the center of town in Hatboro. And, you know, I decided to kind of do comfort food, family food, things that you can eat and say, wow, my mother made this. As a matter of fact, a lot of the things, Gene, on this uh, menu are things that my mother cooked for our family where I grew up in North Philadelphia. So that's really the premise of it. And you know, very proud of it. We do things fresh from scratch, real food. Well, that's something that you've always preached. You've always preached the significance of, you know, doing things from scratch and, you know, starting with nothing on the stove and, and you know, building from there and, and getting the most quality out of that. Prior to that, you had a great little place going down the street that's still there just under a slightly different name. Uh, you were tapas on York, and one of my favorite little places to go, because how many Absolutely. people do tapas and all that? But tell yeah. us a little bit about your background and and where else you've been prior to settling in where you're at. Well, you know, I worked. Uh, the tapas was about an eight or nine year old place, and the idea there, Gene, was to force people to interact. We had co mingling tables. We had smaller plates that really were kind of designed around American regional food, California, Midwest, South, Cajun, Creole, you know, uh, Boston market, Philadelphia market. And uh, I had I had worked for uh, uh, caterers in the, in the past. I worked for fine dining restaurants in Valley Forge, Max Hansen Caterers, as a matter of fact, Robert Ryan Catering, all the guys that you and I both know, you know, upstanding guys. Um, but, you know, I took this on because of the COVID. The place turned into Simply Delicious by Tina, and she's doing well. But, you know, I, I wanted to make a little difference on my own down here. Well, 
you know, and we don't want to exclude one of the things that you do really well, and that is catering and events and the opportunity for our listeners to get some really different style catering and stuff coming up. Uh, you know, graduation season will be upon us real soon. You know, spring get-togethers, even picnics and things like that. You know, um, you have a real, you know, unique flair and creative eye for catering. You know, tell us about some of the things people have the opportunity to be getting in the line of catering from you. Absolutely. Obviously, we're going to do upscale, you know, grab-and-go things like sandwiches and hors d'oeuvre-type things, salads. As a matter of fact, over the weekend, I did something at the Butterfly Museum. I believe it's in uh, the Jenkintown area, correct me if I'm wrong, where we did all cold food. You can't have hot food in there. And the background was beautifully eclectic decor, and I designed all the plates where we did African seared tuna, for example, with a Berber spice. And we did uh, a, a curried chicken salad, sliders. You know, you have to sometimes, Gene, do things that people recognize. But I like to do stations and design everything from scratch. I'm, I'm, I'm a ver- I can handle pretty much any cuisine. Um, obviously, you know, you need the menu, obviously, and try to make a little difference and, and bring people back to um, the type of food that their mothers made, like I said before. For example, if someone said Mediterranean is easy, Italian is easy, I just am sick and tired of uh you know, lasagna, baked penny with a vodka sauce. So I try to really do different things from my background because I've worked in country inns and, you know, finer dining places. And you don't always have to hit them over the head, Gene, but you can sure put the cuisine out there that people go, wow, like a wow factor. So, yeah, that. And and it's all part of the education system. You know, we can educate the palates of our guests and, Give them something that's you know comforting for them, but also take them out on the edge a little bit and let them experience new things. You know that really is, you know the the goal of of what you as a chef and what great chefs do is, you know to show people a new opportunity, a new flavor, a new taste, a new idea, and you do that you know really well. It's a wonderful I thing. So how do you like it in Hatboro? It's a great little town. It is a great little town. Um, they're not used to me though, because I'm a little too, uh, I'm a little too bold for them. I think sometimes, honestly. But I've also found, you know, you know, there's a nice little niche for uh, the older senior citizens in these communities, Gene, where they live and or are put into, and they don't get a lot of the food that they, you know, grew up with or cuisine that they're used to. You know, uh, it could be uh, Ukrainian food, as a matter of fact, or Russian food. They're kind of just forced into food service. So I'm kind of working on designing food that I could probably, you know, get into these markets, you know? Yeah, the, you know, the, the Sunday brunch for, you know, upscale nursing homes and senior living facilities and all is a really unique market. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, food is something that's universal. I, you know, sadly, I have a brother who is in a nursing home type of situation. And I know that when I take him food that my mother made, um, and, and many of our listeners know from previous shows, my mother wasn't much of a cook. You know, I became a chef out of survival. But the few things that she did really well, when I take that to him, 
you know, eyes light up everything because it's that thing. So, you know, what a great opportunity, and I encourage any of our listeners who, you know, have an association with that type of facility to, you know, reach out and start with you because I think that, you know, you are the type of guy who can go in and, and do something very reasonable for them and, and do that. What a great, wonderful thing you're doing. Absolutely. But you know what I'm finding, Gene, that pretty much people want to be greeted. They want you to know them. They want to feel part of your business without really knowing any numbers. You know, you know what you do? You say hello to them. You learn their name. When they come back in, you remember their name. Hi, John. How are you? You're going to have the same thing. That's a little secret that I try to do. You know, when you're in the restaurant business, there's a lot of times behind the scenes, and they don't see you. Oh, the chef. But once they know you and they see, they feel that personal connection, which is really important, you know? You know, it's funny. Uh, when I was a young kid, one of my first kitchen experiences other than our family business was, you know, working at a place on the weekends, working with an, uh, an older woman who was the breakfast cook there. And they had regular clients, and she would walk when they would walk in the door, she knew what they were having, and she would make it. So when they sat down at the table, the waitress was delivering the food. Because every day, you know, they would come in for the same. And she just knew them, and there was that connection and that bond and everything you spoke about. And what a great experience that is. And, you, and you know, it's really critical. It's critical today, Gene, because um, we're all lost in this world of COVID, and afraid to climb out of it and say hello to somebody, you know, the, the human touch is, is not replaceable. The human spirit is not replaceable. You have to say hello to people. They come back, you know, they do. Absolutely. They come back to your establishment. So in, but a, I like, few minutes, in a few minutes What's we have left, you? Chef, tell us about what you think was the coolest meal you ever put together. Oh, wow. That was probably on the battleship New Jersey um, for about 5,000 people. Uh, stations in Butler, Butler, Durst, or Mayor Rendell, maybe 20 years ago. Um, the food part was easy. Walking to the ship on the gangplank was the hardest part. That was a lot of fun. You know, we, you know, we did uh, little mini steaks and crab cakes and uh, mini fajitas for everybody who were all dressed in tuxedos and gowns and 75 feet up in the air. That was a lot of fun. Well, and we all know that, you know, Mayor Rendell loves food. You know, it was something uh, truly special to him. And so many, you know, of our chefs know his fondness for that and, and the years that we had making great food for him and what he did for the, the city of Philadelphia. So, Chef, if people exactly. want to follow you and learn more about your business and stop in and see you where where they do that how do they follow you how do they learn more information about your catering or if you have you know a senior living facilities that want to contact you how do they do that well you follow us on the facebook um also at ernie mpo at gmail.com you can always email me we're at seven south york road hadboro street food sandwich shop the menu is posted and specials and additions, and we all, we have homemade soups every single day. Are those as a special uh, menu item? 
It's an addition, yes. So you can get it in addition to the menu or instead of the menu, yes. Okay, I was just curious. <laughs> Absolutely. So street food sandwich in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, certainly a destination uh, for anybody up in Bucks County. But anybody really wanting to get a little bit of a you know, cross-cultural dining experience and street food, Chef, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I love it. Uh, you know, you, you always offer such a great uh, perspective on what's going on in the world of food and food itself. We look forward to talking to you again and our listeners again. That is Street Food Sandwich, South Harborough, Pennsylvania. Chef, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Gene, thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing you again. Very soon. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back. So we started out the show with wonderful interviews with the Pink Boots Society. Now it is a great honor to introduce Pink Garlic Catering, Chef Beth Esposito of Pink Garlic Catering and Pink Garlic Events, as well as the Butcher's Pantry. Chef Beth, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Great pleasure to have you. Hi, Gene and friends. Thank you for having me on the air today. Uh, thank you. I, you know, as you know, I've been wanting to get you on for a while to talk about the amazing food that you're doing. And now we have two opportunities for people to learn about your style and your creations and all the great things you're doing, you know, from the savory New Year's cakes to your catering to, you know, your great comfort food and sandwiches and everything that you're doing. So, Beth, tell us a little bit about your background, how you got started. You're one of them great success stories that didn't need the Culinary Institute Education of Johnson & Wales. You just had the passion, the love, and the understanding of food to make it good. So, tell us a little bit about you. Well, that's, that's a mouthful, Gene. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> but how I got into the business, I was doing a lot of financial work, and security funding for a while. And at the age of 24, I went into my favorite restaurant. And then I just knew that I wanted to cook for the rest of my life. Because growing up in an Italian family, I mean, that's all you really do. But then you don't think about making a a lifestyle out of it, especially at my age at 51. Girls didn't really have an opportunity to become chefs in the kitchen back in the day, except Julia Child and so on and so forth. You know, the higher-end women that really – really knew what they were doing. So I got into the restaurant business right from one of my jobs. I never went to culinary school, and I just found my niche. I just made my way, fought to the top, and thankfully through the people that enjoy my food and some really good mentors, I have what I have today. So I've been in the business 26 years, whether it's executive chefing restaurants or just helping do uh, food menus or, you know, just helping out stylizing their food in the kitchen on menus and helping the staff in the back to learn and set up their stations. But Pink Garlic, which is my private event company, it's a referral and private base, which is great because, you know, there's no better advertisement than word of mouth. And now we've been, we just celebrated our 10 years. So what we do, we go to homes. We're a fully staffed and operational, um, I guess you want to say event company that comes to your home and does 
from soup to nuts, from two people to 2,000. Now, one of the things that I, I really love about your style is that you are absolutely an event company. You know, your presentations, your stationary appetizers, your stations, things like that, are so beautiful that you know Thank people you. could forego at times floral and other types of things because your food speaks to just beauty and and flavor and things like that. You 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 really have a knack for putting that together. You have an extremely creative eye and, and only surpassed by the fact that you know how to get the most flavors out of food. I don't know if that was your Italian upbringing or, you know, what it was, but you really pull, you know, as much flavor out of food as anyone I know, and, and kudos to you. But you recently just opened up a whole other part of the world, too, in one of my favorite places in the world, in Wedding Terminal Market. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Okay, well, first of all, I just wanted to say, the way that you describe my food is pretty, I, it takes me, it takes me back because it is like it's it's a very nice compliment and I, I really appreciate that. I try to infuse different uh, flavors and spices, make food look super sexy on a plate, but keep it familiar that people aren't too afraid of it. But on a higher scale, we get more intricate depending on the event. But that being said, with the spices, that travels right into the Reading Terminal Market where Butcher's Pantry will be building and what that will be is more or less a high-end prepared meat butcher shop and all the signature spice blends that i'll be putting together will be encrusted on the meat itself so most of the products that will be available will be in the raw state that you go home and cook because i didn't want to take away the fun and the camaraderie of cooking with family and friends away from the customers that want to go home and try something that they've never done before. But in addition to that, there's going to be a lot of compound butters. There's going to be all accompaniments and sides. So it's almost like a one-stop shop for a dinner party or any party for that matter. So it's going to be pretty interesting. It's one of a kind. It's never been done. Um, I know a lot of people are used to having prepared meals, but it's going to be definitely on a higher level. And there will be one signature foodery that we can actually eat there. And there's only going to be one because that's all I was allowed. But I'm not going to give away the secret. You're going to have to wait to find out to see what that is. But it's definitely not on this coast. I have a question because you said that the the sure. butcher the um, butcher's pantry is going to have your spices already cr- like dry rubbed on the meat. Um, yeah. Would you be uh, creating those spices and having them in, you know, for sale as well? So say somebody like myself who. They will be. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I love so spices. Basically, see, the, the thing about it is in the terminal, in the writing terminal market, they try not to overlap what anyone else is doing. So therefore, there are other butcher shops that obviously have the same thing, but everybody has their own niche. But because we were going in with such a different kind of proposal. I wanted to be sure that I was in good camaraderie with everybody else and you don't want to overlap what's happening. So all the spices will be encrusted on the meats and you can mix and match and do what you please. All the spices are my own signature spice blends, especially the every thang spice with an A because we're from South Philly. 
And that's been a big hit. I mailed out a lot of those spices um, to people to get their feedback. I mean, I hundreds of bags of spices that I sent out. So that one's pretty popular. And that's really the only one I put out um, to the general public for free samples. But we, you will be able to purchase every single spice and encrust whatever type of meat that you would like in addition to everything else that will be prepared there. And, you know, if I'm there, I'll give you any recipe I can. Nice. So, hold on. The first question I have. You're from South Philly? I would have never known. <laughs> I am. Can you tell? <laughs> I, I'm not even putting my radio voice or TV voice on to sound like everybody else. Because I have to go with the wedding terminal feel. Don't go in with my South Philly accent. Well, you know, you really are doing a very unique thing. It's kind of, you know, hello fresh to the nth degree. You know, you're really doing super high-end, you know, items that people can take home and finish because there's such a joy of that. But, you know, people do need to advent, you know, be adventuresome, and, and you're helping them do that. You're expanding their palates, and we were just talking about that moments ago, you know, about expanding palates, expanding flavors. And, you know, thank you for doing that because it's going to lead to, you know, more and more people who really know what food is all about. And what a wonderful, wonderful mm-hmm. thing you're doing there. So I'm going to throw the same question. I'm super impressed. Nope, go ahead. I'm sorry, Jim, go ahead. I I'm said I'm super impressed about how people have advanced their palates, especially through the pandemic and trying new things. And, you know, I was very, um, very, very forefront on the Facebook and Instagram posts because I wanted people to contact me while they were sitting home and figuring out what to eat for dinner every night because you couldn't go anywhere. And I would have hundreds and hundreds of emails with just general questions to more intricate questions. And I really appreciate the people trusting me with, with those questions and giving them the answers. And they would post all their pictures after that. So, you know, the dynamic of food is really coming to play, especially with the not so creative, but yet wanting to try new things and those people at their homes and even, you know, for dinner parties that they're throwing themselves. So before we wind down and talk about where people can follow you, I have a quick question for you. Tell us about your favorite meal that you've ever created or catered. You know, the one that just stands out and says, wow, that's I know I put you on the spot there big time. No, it, well, <laughs> everybody asked me that same question. What's your favorite thing to make? And my answer, honestly, to that is everything because I am well-rounded with a lot of different types of food styles. I mean, obviously, Italian is quite possibly my favorite, but I like peasant-style Italian. So my one thing that I love to make that's a little more intricate is a smoked bone marrow gravy, which I get the bone marrow, I smoke it in a smoker, and then make a red sauce, or as we call it, gravy, and then put it over homemade pepperdelli. But to the flip side, to the private event situation, the type or style of food that I love to do at parties, especially for a smaller, like maybe, you know, smaller than 25 is called a new thing that I came up with after, you know, we shut down the world for a minute. It's called a small bite soiree. And what it is, it's eight to 10 to 12 small bites of different types of styles of food, always ending in a pasta or a dessert, a homemade pasta or dessert. 
And it's like you get so many different flavors, so many different flavorful backgrounds of different spices and regions. And it's just, it's, it's not, it's, it's knocked out because it's like off the chart plating. Everything is so intricate and people look at them like, I would never order this or I would never even think to, to eat this. But you have a one bite option and everybody takes it and it, it's a successful party all the way around. So the small bite soiree besides personal plating is my favorite. So where can people follow you and learn more about you, Chef? Okay, so on Facebook, my personal um, handle, I guess you would say, is Beth Esposito, which 95% of it is food-based anyway and 5% of my crazy antics. <laughs> also, there is a pink garlic page. There's a butcher pantry Philly page that's just starting because we had a wait to advertise. Um, we do have a website, butcherpantryphilly.com, pinkgarlicfest.com. So every, all the websites are coming up, getting revamped, and we're looking to come blazing out of the summertime with all new kinds of creative ideas and things to look forward to. And there's a few other things that I got on the back burner, but, you know, one step at a time. It's been a long haul for the writing terminal considering the situation, but we're going to open up and hopefully everything will take off and I'll get to see everybody's faces, especially yours, Dean, when you're there. <laughs> um, well, when... we look forward to it. I look forward to it. And certainly when you're ready to do that, uh, you know, come back and visit us and talk more about what's going on and how it's going. Amaris? Oh, I was just going to ask when, when the opening was, but you kind of liaisoned <laughs> into that. So I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're hoping June every month I say another month just because of the way you know um, purchasing and materials and so on and so forth but we're you know we're hoping for June we're pushing forward so we'll look forward to seeing you again on Food Farms and Chefs in June thank you Chef thank you so much, thank you so much everyone it's a pleasure and thank you for always letting me have an outlet to give you some great stuff Thank you. Appreciate it. Philly, Have a great day. You too. com for all information about the show. Amorous Pollock. You can find me across all social media at AR Pollockus, or you, if you would like to be a sponsor of our show or a guest, you can email me at arpollockus at gmail.com or email foodfarmsnchefs at yahoo.com. Chef Dean. <laughs> You can find me on social media at GMLM or ID42. You can also email me directly at ID42 at yahoo.com. That's I-D-M-O-O-D-I-D, the number two, at yahoo.com. Have a fabulous week, everyone. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.